I sent my oldest son off to a youth retreat this weekend. He was hours away. And like at any time when I'm not with him, I really missed him. But with that great distance and for those several days, I was really feeling the disconnect. I'm so glad that he had his gab phone along. I was able to send him a quick text each evening to ask about his day and to tell him that I was praying for him. Have you heard of these things? The gab phones? That's gab, G-A-B-B. They look and feel a lot like a smartphone, but they aren't connected to the internet in any way. A user can call, they can text, take pictures, and even listen to music, but that's about it. With the Gab phone, I had peace of mind knowing that I could get a hold of my son all weekend, but that he didn't have access to the internet. And most importantly, the internet didn't have access to him. He wasn't scrolling social media or being sent shady photos from total strangers. He wasn't wasting time playing video games or being taken advantage of by cyber stalkers. If you too are interested in purchasing a regular cell phone that looks and feels like a smartphone for your kids, you can grab 30% off a Gab phone or a Gab watch right now. Head to GabWireless.com and use promo code mom to mom at checkout. That's capital letters. M-O-M-T-O-M-O-M. So once again, go to gabwireless.com and use promo code mom to mom Welcome to the mom to mom podcast. We're three generations of moms who've experienced nearly every season of motherhood. Of course, we don't have all the answers, but you can be sure that we'll always point you to the one who does. We're pouring a cup of coffee and we're chatting motherhood today. Pull up a chair. We're really glad you're here. Twenty twenty was the year of disappointments for most of us. Plans were canceled, businesses shut down, and overall life came to a screeching halt for so many of us. Now over seven months into 2021, and things are picking back up for most of us, but life really hasn't gotten back to normal. Who knows if it ever will? Our new normal looks different and brings with it a new wave of disappointments, not just for us, but for our kids. But what if instead of looking at all these setbacks and frustrations as something to slog through, what if we as moms could see them as an opportunity to help our kids learn to walk well through disappointments? How would that change the landscape of our homes moving forward, regardless of how long this COVID craziness lasts? So today, we'd love for you to pull up a chair as we chat about how to help our kids walk through disappointment. Ladies, what does it mean to be a proactive parent when it comes to handling our kids' disappointments? Well, or perhaps on the flip side, what are the downsides of letting their disappointments go unnoticed and undealt with? Well, we're living in a culture that doesn't know what to do with their disappointments. You know, we have adults who are raging on social media. And I think part of the reason is that we're quick to dismiss or belittle the small disappointments of childhood. You know, those are adults whose disappointments were not taken and, and held carefully by perhaps their parents childhood is the training years. And if we can help our kids learn what to do when they've been disappointed now, when maybe their circumstances are not, you know, they're not usually life altering. 
they will be better equipped to know what to do with those disappointments as adults. Right. I agree with that. You know, I, I feel like that's probably the biggest key to parenting any situation, including disappointments. I like to give my kids the tools to process emotional disappointments before um, they have to deal with them in front of other people or in um, give them the chance and the tools to process those things in private. Um, Because a lot of times, a lot of our disappointments are public. Um, And, you know, with social media and everything right now, a lot of people share their disappointments and um, express their feelings on social media. And I think that's something that's happening a lot now in our culture, instead of learning how to handle our disappointments privately and long-term. And so I like to give my kids a proactive way by giving them the heads up that there's a possibility that something could cause them a disappointment in any situation. So I would give them an example and then um, teach them the ability to be flexible and understanding. I think those are two key words in processing disappointments and being proactive as parents. And I think the third thing for me being proactive is to help my kids see things with a different perspective than their own. So proactively um, teaching flexibility in everyday life and understanding that sometimes there's another perspective than our own. And I think you had mentioned September, you know, putting all their disappointments on social media and you said handling them privately. I don't necessarily think you mean like only to yourself, but correct me if I'm wrong, that you teach them who to take those disappointments to and in a proper, maybe non-public way. I think that there's where the trouble lies. So like we're airing all of our disappointments to you know, Susie homemaker that we, we knew 20 years ago in high school, what is she supposed to do with that disappointment? You know, we're not taking it to the right people. And therefore we need to start that training with our kids, teaching them who to take those disappointments to. Right. I think, I think when I'm thinking through this is, you know, social media uh, can be used for a lot of different things, but I think when we have, when we're disappointed in someone or something, there's a place to process that. And it's not with other people. The Bible tells us if we have a concern or problem to go to the person and to get advice and counsel and social media really isn't the place to do that. And I've done, I've been at fault for that before. And I've um, posted something in a very complaining, disappointed um, spirit. And I've, and I've pulled it off of social media because I realized that didn't accomplish anything. Um, the, The purpose of processing our disappointments and things that maybe people or circumstances that let us down um, is different than having a discussion about it. Now, if you want to have a discussion on social media with a proactive approach of solving and having a solution, I think that's a little different than, you know, complaining. Um, so, you know, later in our, in our podcast, I, I think it'll be good for us to talk about how we do that. You know, how do we help them process? But for me, proactively, I think flexibility and seeing things with a different perspective is a great beginning step in everyday life because those disappointments happen. I mean, we're all experiencing them right now. Yeah, we are. You know, and if you think about it, 20 years ago, we didn't have social media. We did not have this platform to to do all this complaining and all this airing our dirty laundry out in public. We just didn't have that ability. So now that we do, it's interesting to see how people use it. It's it's really very fascinating to me how, how we use 
Instagram and Facebook and just put everything, everything that we would never have said. We would never have told people half the stuff we tell them today. It's really interesting to me. And it'll be interesting to see like what, what happens with our kids in 20 years when they're grown, you know, social media might not be the thing, but if we don't train them, like September was saying to handle those privately with the correct people, exactly. where would that come out at? How will that be spewed out for all to see? Yeah. It's interesting. Well, what does it look like to acknowledge their disappointment while not allowing them to wallow in bitterness, anger, or complaints? So the first thing with my kids is that I like to acknowledge the fact that their feelings are real and it's normal to be disappointed. I, we don't want our children to feel like disappointment is a, is a bad, bad thing, you know, and that their feelings are um, going to be shoved aside and they just need to move on with life and, um, you know, be brave and be happy about it. Uh, But when I talk to my kids, I want my kids to know that, the wallowing comes in when you see all of us making rash and careless decisions that are out of the bitterness or anger that we walked away with from the situation. Um, I like to remind my kids of Matthew seven twelve um, to do to others as we would have them do to us. And, and I think one of the things that it looks like when we acknowledge this is that we help them to remember that they themselves will also disappoint someone in their life. Um, and so when they make decisions for themselves and they, they in turn are disappointed by other people, um, these are some things, these are six things that I'm going to list that have been super helpful in my home to help them not sit in that bitterness and disappointment. The first thing I do is I ask my kids questions to help them identify the emotions that are driving their actions and their thoughts and their reactions. So I'll ask them a question. So can you tell me why you're so angry that you were let down in this situation? Can you tell me why you're so sad about this situation? So I ask them a question so they can identify that emotion. The second thing is I get to the root. I want to ask them and help them identify the reasons that they are having a tough time pivoting. We use that word a lot in our home to pivot, to not stay in the same place because we can carry that with us. So I think that pivot word is key to understanding what flexibility is. Sometimes I actually stand and physically show them what a pivot is. Like when you play basketball or something and you're actually standing in the same spot, but you're turning your body in a different direction and you're taking and you're leaving um, the disappointment and the anger and the bitterness behind And I think the third question that I ask my kids is sometimes disappointment and hanging on to it is actually an idol of our selfish needs um, and comfort. So it's uncomfortable to be disappointed. It's really uncomfortable to have to do something we don't want to do, or we've been let down. And that feeling that we sit with for a long time can become an idol that we deserve something. The fourth question I ask is, let's ask ourselves if the disappointment was truly a need or a wish or desire that wasn't met. So I think it's really important to kind of differentiate between a need and a desire, not that um, our desires are wrong, but to identify how long we sit with that. Number five, um, ask if they've ever let anyone else down or caused a disappointment to someone else because we all do it, right? We all disappoint people. And what I've discovered in this and helping them move out of their comfort zone is they have more compassion for the person or the circumstance that has disappointed them in the future. And we'll, we'll put all of those questions in the show notes for you listeners, because I think those are 
really, those are all great questions to start with, to begin fleshing out how to handle that disappointment. And if nothing else, September, you're in asking those questions, you're acknowledging the disappointment in a very verbal present way to your kids and letting them feel seen and heard in their disappointment. And I think that's, that is the biggest thing is to hear them out, to let them finish telling you their disappointment. We need to stop tapping our foot all the time and acting as if their pain is inconvenient for us, because let's be honest, especially if you have like toddlers or preschoolers, their disappointments are not usually earth shattering, but we have to give value to them. Cause if we can value them, their disappointment at two, they'll know that we'll value their disappointment at, you know, 22. I think we're too quick often as Christian moms to cast out a scripture, like a silver bullet, things like, you know, be thankful in all things. And in doing that, yes, that scripture is true, but we have to ask ourselves, is this the right moment to say that? And if the, if the tables were turned, would we feel heard and seen and known if somebody just tossed out a scripture at us, like a silver bullet? So don't instantly try to rush to the resolve and try to fix it. Um, allow them to be disappointed, but then encourage them to pray that God would be their comfort pray with them and for them. I think um, to, to go a little bit further in the question, Kate, you asked, um, what do we do so that they aren't wallowing in their disappointment or aren't coming to bitterness? I think when we see that happening, that bitterness or that anger take root, I think it's our responsibility to point it out. Sometimes they can't even see it. They're just so um, draped with it. So you know, yes, let them be disappointed for the time. But once we see that it, it's, it's going beyond just disappointment. Now that seed of bitterness has been planted. We need to call it out and pray that the Holy spirit leads them to repentance because now their disappointment is morphing into sin. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm dealing with something right now, just personally, that has been very disappointing to me. Someone, someone, a person who has disappointed me deeply and I completely understand the, 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 the bitterness, the anger that that can, that that has wanted to come on me. And I'm really having to fight that myself. And the, the way I'm having to do it is through prayer. It's only through prayer that I'm going to get through this. And I, I see, especially with older kids that, you know, when they're dealing with something that's big, you know, that comes against them, that's a real disappointment that someone brings on them that, you know, it's, it's going to be through prayer because it, it can bring such bitterness and such anger when, when someone really disappoints you, when it's a real thing, it's not just, I didn't get my cookie or, you know, my milk spilled or, you know, the little things when they're little kids, but when they're, when they're a teenager or a young adult and something really big happens in their life, it's really just going to be through prayer or it will morph into sin. And that's where we have to be so careful and so diligent to, you know, just to allow the Holy Spirit to really speak to them and to to come alongside them and pray with them because you need that. You know, it 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 can it can get ugly quick. And I think as parents, like you said, Jamie, we have to watch and just be careful to make sure that it doesn't get into that place because that bitterness, that offense, it can so quickly get into that. And I've always said, if you can be offended, you will be offended. And that's I think that's one of the enemy's tricks. You know, he will if he can offend us or allow someone to offend us, 
and to let that unforgiveness get in there. I mean, I'm going to have to get to the point with this person. I mean, I have to, I have to walk in forgiveness. You just have to, you can't let that stick in you. And, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a journey. I mean, I, I know I'll get there. I have to, it's just, you know, you have to just get to that point, but it's a fresh wound and I'm just going to have to walk through it and get there. And I will, I know I will, you know, my husband will help me and I'll, the Lord will get me through, but it's, you know, and I'm just being honest on the podcast because it doesn't matter what age you are. These things are difficult. It doesn't matter how long you've been walking with the Lord. These things hit you and they sting and it just, it takes time, but you know, I know God will get me through it. I know he will, but, but all the more so with what we're talking about, Kate, like yeah, if we can, help our children in those small disappointments early on and give them some really practical tools to overcome the disappointment of the, I didn't get my cookie or I spilled my (laughs) milk. We're preparing them and equipping them with, with tools that will hopefully come a little bit more automatic than maybe it has in our own lives. Because, you know, I don't feel like I was very equipped to handle disappointments in my life. And now as an adult, I have to, it's, it's a non-negotiable otherwise, you know, bitterness and anger really only affects yourself. You know, I right. I'd be, it would be a self-inflicting wound at that point. So just exactly. in my own, um, longevity of life, I have to learn how to handle disappointments, but that was a, that's a long life lesson that I'm still learning yeah. all the more. So, you know, it, it should propel me to not want my kids to have to walk the same way that I've had to walk and, and learn how to handle disappointments. Yeah. And it just, and just so y'all know, our listeners, it never ends, you know, it's going to, it, it will come up for your whole life. So we have to, we have to have strategies to battle it. So these are great mm-hmm. things. Everything that you all are saying are, are just great strategies that we all can. I'm going to use the things that you're teaching your children in September. Those are good for me. <laughs> those mm-hmm. are all going to be helpful for me. Yeah. yeah all of us. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking through like all the different phases in our lives and how, you know, um, when we have littles for moms listening to have littles, a lot of us say, um, you're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, like when they say, but I wanted to stay at the park and we're like, it doesn't matter. Um, you're going to be fine or stop crying it. You know, this is the way it is. Those are some of the things we say, because we're usually in a hurry when our little kids, or we have a schedule to keep or things to do. And we're just kind of tired and over it because it seems like they're always disappointed because, you know, they're little kids. They're, they're only thinking of themselves. Of course they have, they want to have fun. They want to be comforted. Um, but maybe if we just try to even change our language in the everyday life to, I understand, but this is why we're leaving early. And it doesn't mean you have to give them a long discussion, but maybe just take out some of the harsh language that makes them feel unheard and unseen, Mm. not coddling, you know, not coddling the pouting and the crying and the whining and the arguing, but maybe just changing our, our verbiage a little bit, um, and not being so harsh and, and then saying, and that's the end of it for now and using terms like for now, we'll talk about this later, but not now so that they know they're being seen. They know they're being heard. And then I think, you know, when we have middles and tweens and teens, sometimes the disappointment lasts longer and we have to kind of pull out the root of selfishness and idolatry of comfort and, um, putting bigger expectations on people that they should, or we should when we were teens. And then as we grow into women, And moms were disappointed on a bigger, deeper level. And I think sometimes we are challenged to live a biblically 
um, a biblical way in handling conflict and communication. And that's really where the true challenge comes in, I think. Um, so we start small, we grow this so that we realize and we can recognize what you know, anger and sadness and bitterness unchecked can do to us so that we're eager to pray. Like you, Kate said, Kate said, and we're eager to really have compassion to the person that or circumstance that disappointed us. Try to think of it as maybe not so personal, even though it feels really personal. Imagine the world change that would take place if we moms did the knee-bending work of prayer for our homes, if we spent just as much time praying as we do providing perfect childhoods, perfect days, perfect dinners. Our kids need perfection, that's true, but it won't ever be found in us. That's a gift only Jesus can lavish on them. If Kate, September, and I could encourage you in just one thing, it would be prayer. Nothing will be more powerful in the life of your kids and in your relationship with them than bringing them to the throne of the all-powerful one who can move heaven and earth on their behalf. To help direct your thoughts to specific prayer points found in Scripture, we've put together a month-long series of prayer cards called 30 Days of Prayer for My Child. Each card contains a prayer theme, a verse that correlates with that theme, and a brief sample prayer to help you call upon God to be faithful to His Word in light of your kids. To grab a set of your own, head to September and Co. Shop on Etsy. Pray for your kids today, because if you're not praying for them, who will be? Well, what does the gospel teach us about disappointment and the redemption of our hearts? God knows about our disappointments, you know, before we even voice them. I think we're sometimes leery of voicing our disappointments to him because it feels like we're complaining or that we're not grateful. He already knows them. So we don't have to be afraid to voice them. I think we see examples of that in scripture where men and women of the Lord had such a solid relationship with God that they did not fear bringing their disappointment to the one actually who could do something about it. Yeah. I think it's a sign of trust in him when we bring our disappointments to him, obviously in a respectful way. What I love about God is that he doesn't just hear me. He listens. Psalm 56, eight says, you have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? He gathers all our tears in a bottle. Mm -hmm. He holds our disappointments with care. And that should compel us to do the same thing for our kids. That verse also reminds me that there will be an end to my disappointments. You know, it says he keeps count of my tears, which means they're measurable. You know, there's a start to them, but there will be an end to them too. I love that scripture. <laughs> I, you know, I've been thinking about the gospel and disappointments and hurt and it occurred to me that um, most of my growth in my spiritual walk and most of my growth in my relationships actually came from a place of disappointment or being let down or hurt. And I realized that this journey of me feeling better and moving beyond that point of pain is not only my journey, but the persons who to whom 
maybe let me down or I was disappointed from and my relationship in itself was strengthened. So I've shared here in the podcast before that, um, I had a broken relationship with my mom for over a year and we had stopped communicating for a while. And so, um, it was really difficult to communicate my hurt and pain in words. And I learned that I just needed to be open and share this with her because I had expectations for our relationship. And I realized that a lot of, um, things that were disappointed and have expectations about are usually born out of two things. One, someone's unaware that they've hurt us or that they've not delivered on the expectations. So we have to openly communicate and use verbiage and learn how to communicate how God created us to be strengthened by, um, his word in communicating. So I would use language like, you know, as your daughter, I, I was hoping, or I thought maybe you felt the same way as I do. And then the second thing about relationships that I've seen the gospel redeem in my disappointment is that we learn how to communicate better with the people and the situations so that we're not always thinking the worst of that person. A lot of times people are actually acting and reacting out of their own pain. And so therefore the person that's being disappointed is, um, you know, my expectations were broken because my mom was acting and reacting out of pain that I wasn't aware was there, maybe a disappointment she had about something else. And so I think a lot of times trying to see things from another situation, God gives us the ability. He redeems the relationship. Um, he was probably so disappointed and sad with Adam and Eve in the garden. Um, but you know, and I think that all began there, those expectations he had for his creation, but he made a way he made a way through the gospel for us to have strong relationships with him and with other people. And for us, our expectations to be and disappointments to be redeemed. And in the end, I feel like relationships are made stronger that way. Um, and just being brave enough to encounter what it really is that we're being disappointed from. Mm, so good. Well, because we live in a broken world, disappointments are inevitable, especially so for children who aren't always in charge of decision-making, but even something as simple as having to leave the park when it's time to go because you have a schedule to keep can be disappointing for a little one. And you could argue that, well, that's life, but how might a mom help to prevent unnecessary disappointments? Is there anything she can say or do to avoid causing more pain? So I have another little punch list. We'll add them to the notes, but these are just some things that I've used with younger children. And I'm just going to kind of read them off so that if anyone's taking notes, they want to write them down um, because this isn't where you have a long conversation with your children, especially little ones to avoid um, disappointment. So I am just super realistic with our time and expectations. For example, when we go to the park, I say, we're only going to have 20 minutes. I'm going to give you a five minute warning, and this is going to be a short visit. So expect me to tell you when it's time to go, or I'll say, we have a lot more time today, have fun. Or I'll say, this isn't the time, you know, I want my kids to know, um, the time and expectations. I, and so I think it's important with whatever we do, whether it's a play day or a birthday or a financial situation or a vacation or some, anything that your little ones to them, it's a big deal. Just be realistic with your um, time and expectations to them. The second thing is, I like to give notice of change of what we see that there might be a possibility. So if I know that we're going to have a play date with a friend that 
is prone to canceling or has a sick child. And I know the night before I'm going to give them notice like, Hey guys, tomorrow might not happen because so-and-so's child has a cough and they already told me it. I don't wait until it's time to leave and say, guess what? We're not going. So that really helps kind of preempt the disappointment. Um, as moms, I think it's super important for us to not overcommit our own personal and play plans. If it could cause a disappointment, sometimes we overcommit because we want to do all the things and be all the things. And then we end up having to cancel and our kids don't know that we've overcommitted. So, um, don't overcommit. The fourth one is don't make promises. You can't keep plain and simple. Don't tell your kids that you're going to do something just to appease them in the moment. And then it's going to cause a great disappointment down the road. Fifth, um, don't reward your kids for every simple thing um, that they do. This is like on the flip side of disappointment. I think sometimes we reward our kids for everything. We were so good. We're going to go to such and such. And so then when they've proven character of maybe showing bravery and courage and not overreacting when they're disappointed, there's no reward for that. Um, so I think sometimes we have to be careful where the rewards are given. And I like to save rewards for proven for good character, showing resilient resiliency and flexibility. And I said, you were so flexible. I'm so proud of the way you reacted to this disappointment. Um, because if you reward them for every little thing, that's not going to mean a thing to them. So I like to really save my rewards. Um, and the last is to be sympathetic and to consider the circumstances. Sometimes we don't need to make a call that is going to cause utter disappointment. And um, we, we ourselves as moms can learn to pivot. Sometimes we make a call that's gonna be disappointing to our kids and we ourselves can learn to pivot in the circumstances so that something can happen. Um, it's not always about what's best for us. And, I, and I've learned that as a mom, especially with teenagers. Sometimes I have to do things I don't want to do. Um, it doesn't mean I'm giving the, them the world on a silver platter, but I do it. And I, I pivot my schedule so that I can avoid constant disappointment because disappointments are big for teenagers. Mm -hmm. I don't really have anything that I feel like I can add to that great list, <laughs> September. You've thrown them all out there. That was fantastic. Um, I will say this one little thing piggybacking on what you said about, you know, giving them a warning, you know, when you're at the park saying five more minutes, do the last thing, do your most favorite thing one more time, just honoring the fact that they're enjoying themselves so that you don't have to just like rip the bandaid. You're kind of setting yourself up for, you know, the tantrum or the meltdown when you don't tell them what the next thing is. We just, you know, as moms, we know what the next thing is. So we have time to emotionally prepare. And yet sometimes we just expect them to, you know, turn on a dime. So the one thing that I would add to that is, um, years ago, you know, we've been doing morning time as a homeschool family for 12, 13 years, something like that. And years ago, I found that, you know, my kids would play in the morning after they get up and have breakfast and, and, you know, make their bed, do all the morning things. They'd start to play. And then I would call them for morning time. And, you know, I'd stand at the bottom of the steps and shout up to them. Hey, it's time for morning time. Come on down. Well, they're right in the middle of play. So then morning time became this drudgery that they didn't want to do. And they'd come marching down the stairs, very upset. They don't want to start morning time. And that certainly was not the posture I wanted to to be in at the beginning of morning time where we're like opening up God's word and, you know, praying and, and inviting him into our day. I didn't want to start it like that. So I, um, 
decided to have a transitional song and I picked a worship song. And actually, Kate, you can tell Franny oftentimes <laughs> it's a Francesca Battistelli song. <laughs> I pick a song of the year and I play that song when I want to call my kids to morning time. I don't even call them. I just play the song and they know, okay, this song, you know, most songs last for about three to five minutes. That means I'm giving them a three to five minute warning without actually mm -hmm. having to give it in the morning. They know that they have three to five minutes to wrap up what they're doing and then come to morning time. And that song sort of sets the posture of worship before we're even um, starting that time. And that's just one example, but I think you could use that that same idea for other times of transition in your day that that often breed disappointment or you know cause frustration in your kids to just have like this transition tradition and that's what this song has been for us and so every year i pick a new song so we can start you know and have a new song throughout the the whole school year but it's a way to give that 5 minute warning throughout the day in a real natural, gentle way. Oh, that's wise, Jamie. I like that. That makes a lot of sense. You know, I just want to add before we go any further, and I know we're wrapping up here in a minute. I've been really thinking through as we're talking, because, you know, we have in our home, a lot of different ages and we have a lot of different personality types. And as I'm thinking through this, I'm thinking through when, like the other day I was at the park and there was a mom who told her little boy, um, that he needed it was time to go and he didn't want to go. So he, within seconds, he threw himself down on the um, wooden bark chips at the playground and he faced face first and he was just kicking and screaming. And she's like trying to console him and pick him up. Um, and I, I felt bad for her because what, you know, this was in front of all the moms and I had my granddaughter with me and she was all concerned. She's like, Nana, is he being, is he okay? And then one of my other granddaughters said, he's being naughty. You know, everyone observes this differently, but, um, and of course this is a journey for that mom and that child. And I don't know how she handled it at home. Um, it, it wasn't one of those moments where I was judging her child. I was just observing. And it made me think that if we don't teach our kids the symptoms of acting in the wrong way towards a disappointment when they're young, when they're teenagers, it's going to be harder. So, you know, I think if you still have little ones at home, I'd encourage you real strongly not to think of this just as a toddler thing or not just as a, you know, a little kid thing, because, um, I have actually raised a few teenagers who are more emotionally driven, who still struggle with disappointment because they are more emotionally driven. Some of my kids don't think twice about things. They just move on and pivot more easily. And so I've seen them work through it as teenagers, young adults, college and married disappointments seem heavier and bigger. And um, the way they handle things when they're younger, we just have to give them those tools and, and not just label it as it's just a toddler thing. I think our podcast today has been super heavy on how to avoid uh, disappointments or how to help them not sit in the disappointment. But I think that we need to, as moms recognize what are good symptoms and bad symptoms early on. And if, and if we, our children have patterns of, um, reacting to discipline or disappointment as a, as a young child, and that continues, then they're really being set up for failure when they're older. They, they may be that person and you may be that person, whoever's listening, who feels the need to act out or react um, on social media right now during our major culture changes 
because it's really just about feeling like we need to be heard. So finding a healthy way through disappointments today, I think is a really key walkway for our podcast. Hmm. I think too, you know, you had mentioned you have varying degrees of personalities. You know, you have 10 kids September, so I'm sure you've seen the gamut. And so you've probably seen the kids who do um, react in a very emotional way. But then there's also the kids who maybe haven't been taught to handle their disappointments well, and it doesn't come out as this great outburst of emotion or what would be considered inappropriate behavior. They internalize it and it eats away at them slowly. And so you might never, ever see that the initial reactions to that, but it will come out in other ways. It will, you know, come out sideways. So even if you don't have a very emotional child, even if your toddler isn't the one on the playground face down, kicking and screaming, their disappointment will come out in other ways. So regardless of the emotional capacity or emotional health of your kids, I think um, this is something that we all need to be working on with all the ages and all the stages of childhood and young adulthood, because yeah, this is when we have, you know, grown adults throwing bricks in other people's windows or pulling weapons out in public places to, to retaliate because they don't have a place. They haven't been taught where to put their emotions, how to handle those disappointments, who to take them to. Mm-hmm. Right. And I feel like in our culture, especially the culture of our homes, I've worked so diligently and I'm still working on this, uh, teaching my children, the difference between expression of disappointment and entitlement, because I think a lot of times our in- disappointments come from entitlement and entitled people, not entitled, just entitled children actually live entitled. So they entitled children who grew up thinking that they are entitled to get their way all the time will actually grow up to make selfish decisions that affect other people. They will not think twice about double booking an appointment with you and then canceling. They won't think twice about not showing up somewhere because they themselves aren't thinking in that moment of their own disappointment about someone else. So they begin to make decisions that affect other people that way. And, um, so I've seen it happen. I I've, encountered people like that. And I think, how did they not think twice about their actions just now? Well, it's probably because they themselves were disappointed so many times growing up that they become hard exterior and shut out the consequences. So I feel like it's a cycle that we need to consider. A lot of times as young moms, we think, you know, just let's stop. Let's just knock it off. Or, um, you know, it doesn't matter what you think, but honestly, and we don't want to over dramatize emotions on our podcast, but it, it really is something, this is a huge issue. Um, I think that we really need to kind of address and get to the root to and, and, and pull out the good character. Mm, that's really good. September. Well, sometimes our kids are disappointed because we've made a decision about something and perhaps we don't know all the facts, or we could be convinced to make a different decision with some further explanation. For instance, If you call out to your kids that it's time for bed, not knowing that they're in their room playing a board game and are one move away from a winner being declared, would it really matter if they took five more minutes to complete the game? Well, on the one hand, no, because it's just five minutes. But on the other hand, yes, because in choosing to continue playing, they're actually disobeying. Well, do you have any tips for allowing your kids to make an appeal while still maintaining proper parental authority? I mean, you know, if you think about it, Ephesians 6, 4, 
it says provoke not your children to anger. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, in our home, we have actually taught the appeal process. So a lot of people think we're pretty goofy. Like, what are you teaching your little kids the word appeal for? Um, but I, you know, I have a story I wrote in um, my book about one of our sons actually using the appeal process, um, which I'm going to flesh out here in a second. And Jamie, I don't know if you do this and Kate, if you did this with Franny, but it is such a good tool. Um, it's not something that you, they are, um, using all the time, but it's a tool. We teach them this appeal process and we tell them they cannot abuse it, but it's a tool and it's a resource actually for them as a child. So it gives them something. So in a situation like you shared about calling them in the middle of a game or something where we really want to give them an out. And maybe here's the thing. We don't know all the circumstances. Sometimes I'll address something with one of my kids and um, I'll say, no, you need to turn the internet off at uh, 11 sharp, you know, my older kids or something, or even my little ones. And there may be something I don't know. And it's something like that. So it falls into the category, the appeal process in our home. Um, there's circumstances that maybe mom and dad don't know all the circumstances and they believe it's something that they should be able to do. Um, there are um, reasons why they cannot obey, right away. So this tool is, they just say to us, may I make an appeal to play my game longer? We're almost done. That's what it looks like. So it's a verbal appeal and it sounds so formal. It sounds so like business-like, but it's amazing when it happens because it gives them words to ask permission. It's not, can I have an appeal to have another cookie or can I have an, may I make an appeal to play longer? I don't feel like obeying. It's really circumstantial. And so then as a parent, we have to decide, um, is, is it really, um, is this becoming a pattern? They're not going to bed every night. Is it applicable? Are the circumstances weighty enough that we can say, yes, yes, you may play longer. Thank you for coming to me or no, no, we can't make an appeal this time, but thank you again for coming to me with that. Um, and then, um, as my kids grew older, they use this sporadically and very, um, specifically, they didn't abuse it. And then, uh, one of my sons had a job for, a, a national corporation and a manager came in and my son, I think he was 17 or 18, you know, young kid. And he was, um, doing something in the store and he did what he thought was best. And the manager came through and corrected him in front of the whole place. And, um, he was really kind of upset, hurt, concerned. He knew what he thought he did was right. So he asked if he could speak to the manager in person. And the first words he said were, may I make an appeal to speak to you about this thing that happened earlier? I'd like to explain, you know, what I was thinking when I did this. And the manager said, sure. Yeah, go ahead. He didn't just say, Hey, you were wrong. Call him out with, you know, harsh language. And he used respectful circumstantial language. And, um, the manager listened in the end, the manager told my son, thank you so much. One for being respectful. Thank you too, for not being combative. And number three, you're right. Thank you for letting me see all the things that helped you make this decision. Um, and so, you know, it's a tool, it's a tool for all of us. I love that September. I heard you talk about that several years ago on social media. And while I don't think I use those particular words, I, I feel like at the time I was trying to teach my kids that process. And you really gave me some verbiage to help me do that. So I really appreciate that. 
the only things that I would add is be the yes mom whenever possible. Like, unless it's an absolute no, obviously as, as a Christian, I know there are 100% things that I will have to say no to. And so, because I know there are several things I'll have to say no to just because of, you know, our beliefs and our faith and our, and our walk before the Lord, if it's not one of those no things, I try to be the yes mom so that my kids are not always feeling like, you know, mom's just this big ogre who never lets us do anything. And so they don't have to come and appeal to me often because I'm considering their interests, you know? And I think um, to kind of go along with what you said, September, about, you know, making, using the appeal wisely, I think we as moms need to give in to appeals thoughtfully. Because if we always give in, you know, if if you give in to every appeal, if you change your mind all the time, then your word ends up holding no authority. And what ends up happening is then they appeal more often and it's, it's not always appropriate or right or justified, or you begin to hear the, but mom, I was just, but mom, I, and, and you're sort of, um, nurturing that in them. So definitely hear them out and hear their appeal, especially when they're bringing it very carefully, thoughtfully, and respectfully, but be careful how often you give into that appeal, because if you do it all the time, then your original word, your original decision means nothing. Well, in the past year and a half, we have all experienced our fair share of disappointments. No one was immune, especially not our kids. But disappointments are a part of life with or without a pandemic. And as moms, we have the opportunity to use the small disappointments of childhood to prepare our children for the bigger ones that will inevitably come as they get older. God holds all of our disappointments with kindness. He doesn't belittle them or dismiss them away. May we learn to comfort our children in their heavy heartedness with the same kind of comfort that God graciously lavishes on us. Well, thank you so much for staying with us today and listening. We hope that you've learned something. I know that you have. 